Manuel Viotti, PhD from Zubit Fertility. And the subject today is um, a IVF genetics subject of mosaicism. So one of the things that is kind of interest to kind of crystal ball gaze is, you know, it's a it's a real interesting problem where we've improved the technology and come up with as many questions as answers, which is your typical kind of thing when you bring in a new technology. But can and I am a great believer in technology and advances in science. Do you think we can really improve our technology again to improve some of our questions about mosaicism in embryos? So the way that we look at it at Cooper, we've started off doing uh, array CGH, and then we moved to NGS. And NGS is just, for the listeners, just simply counting chromosomes using DNA sequences. And it's good, but all you're doing is counting the chromosomes. And over the past few years, we've added in new aspects to that. So we're also counting what's known as the SNPs, single base pair change, which are an independent method, sort of an inheritance method of counting chromosomes. So we have two ways of counting chromosomes. Um, you know, Mark, Manuel, I mean, do you think... Are you believers that the technology will get us out of this problem? Or the more we look at, the more complicated it's going to get? I think, um, you know, one of the criticisms of, the, you know, I guess diagnosing or uh, calling mosaicism with PGTA is that um, that sometimes actually noise or, yeah, just variability in the process of PGTA produces results that could be interpreted as mosaic because we're looking at intermediate copy number, intermediate chromosomal copy number in the results. When when obviously real mosaicism is present, we see an intermediate copy number, for example, between chromosome two and three because it's really taking the pool of the chromosomes in that multicellular biopsy. If there is noise, the the, the the profile of um, the chromosomal profile of that sample will can produce results that also fall in that intermediate copy number range and could be interpreted erroneously um, as as mosaicism i think there there's room for improvement there's room for cleanup of those we already have qc methods that can um kind of discard or or identify those noisy profiles and 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 not classify them as mosaic um and then what to do with those embryos becomes another question are they are they then just considered non-diagnosed or are they should a re-biopsy be taken and so on and so forth so removing those um 
can the technology become better? Absolutely. I mean, what you just mentioned, uh, if you have two different independent ways to, or, or more, to confirm the presence of mosaicism, um, you know, that's, that's great. Um, in fact, probably what, you, what I'm hearing is that when you use these combinations, usually one, complex, one supports the other. You're not seeing huge disparities, and I'm sure Mark can speak more, more about that. Um, again, you know, lending or, you know, giving um, confidence that when that those intermediate copy numbers are indeed mosaicism, are consistent with mosaicism in the embryo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mark? Yes, the um, having two independent ways of looking at the data uh, give us additional uh, confirmation of the result, and that's always a good thing. But we're not as Manuel just said, we're not seeing uh, disparity between the data sets using the two different technologies, uh, which just underscores uh, why the people who have called this a technology failure is are incorrect, because these two techniques are completely different from each other. Um, I, I don't. I think um, uh, the issue really gets back to. Um, how, how much do we really want to know about the embryos? <laughs> it's separate from mosaicism even. If I could wave my arms right now and we could do a $100 whole genome or whole exome sequencing of the embryo, would we want that? We, we might learn an awful lot scientifically about early embryo development and all, which would be good from a scientific perspective. But I suspect we're not going to find any normal embryos if we have all of that data. And that's because none of us are perfect. And we all have these abnormalities that we blissfully go through life having no idea that we carry. And they might be a little uh, segmentals in our genome where a little piece of DNA is missing. Maybe that is mother nature experimenting with evolution. Who knows? Um, so well, we learn scientifically if we could make the technology better? Sure. I don't think we're going to uncover something that tells us mosaicism isn't important. It, it is. We know, for example, in CBS and amniocentesis, that if you're mosaic, um, you have a higher likelihood as a fetus of having a low birth weight or prematurity. So we know that at least for some chromosomes, it's critically, well, it's very useful to know if mosaicism exists. Um, so the technology will get better, but what's going to slow us up is our understanding of how to interpret it. it, just like the astronomers looking at black holes. One of the things that's you know, seen as the future of the whole PGTA world is non-invasive uh, non PGTA. And I think this brings us to one of the questions of you know, where the DNA that goes into the media as embryos is going, are growing, comes from, and whether we are just swapping one level of mosaicism as an issue with another level of mosaicism as an issue. Um, I suspect that it's more likely, just because of the cells on the outside of an embryo, that the DNA is coming from the trophectoderm. And, you know, are we going to get an even worse situation than we have now that it's going to be um, cells in the trophectoderm that are 
more likely to be aneuploid that's in the cell-free medium DNA. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't know what your thoughts are, Manuel, Marcus. I think a lot of people are trying to get at that that question. What 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 is the source of the cell-free DNA in in spent media? Um, is it preferentially aneuploid cells? It, it, so in the mosaic context, you see more of the DNA coming from the abnormal cells, which then what does that do when you do non-invasive PGTA? Um, in fact, and I think we'll probably come to that, uh, talking about self-corrective mechanisms that have been proposed in a, in a mosaic context where euploid cells outcompete aneuploid cells just because of faster proliferation or, or even um, targeted ap- apoptosis in the, uh, in the aneuploid uh, cells. So what is then left in the media, you know, if, if that is true, if those corrective mechanisms are indeed happening, might really be not uh, a good representative of the embryo. It might, because the embryo in a mosaic context might be getting rid of the aneuploid cells, and that's what you pick up in the media. And what's left with this is mostly euploid cells. Uh, so that, that really does complicate things again for, for non-invasive PGTA, the whole mosaic uh, business. Yes. Uh, well, just a little. The The whole field of medicine has always tried to move away from invasive analysis. And we see it now in liquid biopsies in cancer, and we see it in uh, non-invasive uh, analysis uh, during pregnancy with a blood sample from the mother uh, and able to sort out the DNA from the mother from that of the fetus. And uh, it wasn't that many years ago, and a lot of people would have thought that was impossible. So you never say impossible in science, and it would sure be lovely if you didn't have to do biopsies at all. The question is, as Manuel just said, is the spent media DNA representative of what's going on inside the embryo? And I have seen data both ways on that. And I think it's uh, still a tad early to say, but I think it's a super exciting area which to do research. Um, um, but, I, but I frankly don't know. We might find more surprises that just <laughs> makes us scratch our heads even more about now what, uh, which is what science always does. So I don't know. I, I'm hoping that non-invasive will come along. I don't have a lot of feeling uh, of good good feelings about metabolomics uh, I think you're going to find uh, metabolites that the embryo puts out that tells you it's dying and but that isn't um, really going to be a, a big uh, advantage over just visualization so I'm not so sure about that proteomics is you know been on the horizon now for about 30 years and hasn't made a lot of progress. So I'm not sure about metabol about the proteomics analysis either, um, but I'm glad that people really want to do the science in 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 this uh, spent media because I think it's exciting and um, potentially quite promising. Again, in a in a world of meiotic errors only, spent media analysis would probably work really really well because um, then you would the rep- the DNA that is in the media would probably be a very good representative of DNA. In the uh, in the embryo, in the cells in the embryo of the occasional cell that uh, that dies or uh, DNA that gets shed for some reason or another, but 
mitotic errors again make complicate these things quite a lot. Um, and again, it's complicated biology, uh, making it hard for for us in the technology field to design good diagnostic tools. Um, so I think uh, it's still a field that you know that needs to be developed. Maybe mixing again things like SNP analysis with copy number analysis uh, can help. Um, there's other things like maternal DNA contamination. So there's still a lot to be done. It's tremendously exciting, like Mark was saying, and, and hopefully we'll get there. Uh, so we'll see. Time will tell. I think the, I think the uh, critical thing here is um, what do we do with the information and what, does the, what do we convey to the patient and what does the doctor do? And does it matter which chromosome is mosaic, for example? Um, and how do we best make an algorithm to rank order, which is really what PGS or PGTA is, is rank ordering the embryos based on everything from the genetics that we might get to the morphology that the embryologist would have uh, and deciding which embryo or embryos to transfer. Mark, um, we've had a We've been considering the impact of mosaicism in PGTM and I put a little scenario to you. So PGTM, one of the challenges with PGTM is always having enough embryos to make the selection to find those unaffected embryos. And then if you add in PGTA, which we do most of the time, it reduces the selection. So you're finding unaffected euploids. That's a challenge. Um, and one of the things that is, you know, a concern is if you also then have to think about mosaicism in that as well. You know, it's it's the balance between finding an embryo that's free of disease and taking the risk of disease away versus having to think also about finding an embryo that might produce an effect at live birth and how for PGTM patients particularly, do you think they have to have a slightly different consideration for selecting mosaic embryos for transfer than PGTA patients because they have this significant genetic risk? Yes, well, um, every decision in medicine has its risks and its benefits, and it's always a balancing act of what do you do to get to the outcome you're hoping for. In this case, um, of course, I'm a geneticist, so I have my own uh, agenda here, but my sense of it is, is that you wouldn't, most PGTM patients wouldn't even be going to an IVF clinic if they didn't have a disorder that they were trying to avoid. They're not generally the infertile couple who has a totally different uh, set of issues on their mind. Um, these patients often can have children. Uh, they're just afraid of the 50-50 or 25% chance that they're going to have a child with a serious genetic disorder. Oftentimes they know about this because the disease is already in their family. They know about it better than any clinical geneticist would ever know because they live with it. So my view is that, of course, PGTM, the molecular analysis of the gene is by far the most important. 
while you've already got the biopsy sample, you do PGTA and you look for full-blown aneuploidy, of course. And then you see what you have. And if all you have left are mosaics, then you have to have a serious conversation with the couple about the risks and benefits of transferring a mosaic. And depending on the chromosome that's mosaic or the percentage of mosaicism, you might decide that the risk is too high or you don't want to take the length of time it might require to do a transfer, find out you're pregnant, then have a prenatal test, and then be in a box about what am I going to do with all this information if it turns out that the fetus is got a high level of mosaicism or something. So in my view, it's rank ordered. Of course, the embryo has to be developing. So the embryologist has something to say for sure at the beginning of the process. And then comes, well, is the disease present or not? And then while we have the mosaic information or while we have the aneuploidy information, we surely wouldn't want to transfer a healthy cystic fibrosis free embryo that has trisomy 21. So, and then what do you have left? So again, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier in a different context. Uh, it was expectations before on the doctors and the healthcare team about what the, de- what the test is going to give for us. And here it's expectations for the patient. And this really requires genetic counseling, um, which uh, is always done for PGTM, where you set the expectation for the couple realizing they never would have dreamed that they were going to be in this situation to build a family and they were going to have all these potential hurdles ahead. Uh, but you have to present them all to them in a reasonable way. Um, and that's why independent uh, counseling is important. Yeah. You know, I would say, I mean, from the data that is out there so far, it looks like um, a most an embryo that is classified as mosaic that gets transferred. And in the vast majority of cases, if it leads to a pregnancy, it leads to a baby that is indistinguishable from a euploid embryo transfer. Um, there's lower implantation rates with the mosaic embryos. There's higher early miscarriage rates, particularly early spontaneous abortions, like uh, between the um, you know gestational sac visualization and fetal heartbeat, uh, but later on, as the pregnancy uh, you know progresses, the two become practically indistinguishable. Um, at least that's what the current, the bulk of the current data tells us. There is one study from a lab in Turkey, and we can talk about that one that shows that um, the mosaicism in PGTA persisted through gestation and was detected during amniocentesis and even in the newborn in um, in one of the tissues that they sampled uh, the mosaicism was still present um, so that there, there is that precedent um, luckily it also showed that it can be detected during uh, prenatal testing so still stresses the importance of prenatal testing when we transfer mosaic embryos because those instances where it does carry through they can be they can be uh, identified, uh, but in the vast majority of cases, uh, the mosaicism observed during PGTA simply disappears from the fetus, or it's not present in the fetus, and and in the baby that is born. 
Um, so going back to your question, you know, are we cutting out too many embryos by, by um, you know, testing for mosaicism or reporting mosaicism? If half of the embryos you're already discarding due to the monogenic uh, disease or the, the condition, and then another half due to aneuploidy, you're left with a few embryos and then they happen to be mosaic. Oh my gosh, what do we do now? Let's keep in mind that, um, yes, they have lower implantation potential, but again, so far, you know, so mosaicism of PGTA from a multicellular biopsy in the trophectum should not be equated with disease. Um, so I think that's important to note. It's what it what is what it does so far is it seems to well, at least the data tells us decrease implantation rates and increase rates of early loss, early spontaneous abortion, which is obviously not ideal. And, and but but still, it's not to be equated with a genetic condition or a syndrome that carries through the fetus and the birth. Um, so I think. You know, that's that's an important point to keep in mind. At the end of the day, you know, there's the, there's the fish data to support this and, and single-cell RNA-seq data, some beautiful papers from Rajiv McCoy's group, for example, that tells us that actually many, if almost, if, if uh, I'm, I'm cautious to say, but m- maybe even all blastocyst stage embryos are mosaic to some extent. So if you take all the cells of any blastocyst, you will likely find at least one cell that is aneuploid in there, just because of latent low-level mitotic errors that happen. Maybe it's not all of them, but many of them will have this, what I'm calling ultra-low-level mosaicism, if you will. So I think it's probably a very, very common occurrence that as cells are dividing early on, um, you know, a, a mitotic error happens, a chromosomal segregation error happens, and then that is, becomes basically inconsequential to, to develop. And those cells either stop arrest and stop develop, stop dividing, or they get uh, commit basic cellular suicides through apoptosis. Um, so, again, I think it's a much more common phenomenon that we like to think. Um, and so it shouldn't be necessarily equated again with with a malady with a condition um the other thing is that you know with to keep in mind we've been transferring embryos blindly for 40 years in ibf without knowing whether they were aneuploid or they were mosaic or euploid um and so far we haven't seen you know large numbers of abnormalities from babies born from from those transfers from from ibf babies so Again, I think, I, I guess the, the point I'm trying to stress is that detecting mosaicism at PGTA uh, in the blastocyst stage will is more of a, a ranking uh, tool to increase chances of successful implantation. And, and it, sh- it should be seen as such rather than predictive of a, you know, chromosomal syndrome later on. Um, during the birth, uh, pregnancy and birth. With that, I'd like to thank Mark and Manuel. Thank everybody who's tuned into this episode of Fertility Insights. Please share, comment, and make sure you tune into our next episode.